Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. I think we should go ahead and get started. And in addition to members of the Patreon community, we're also... As Brian mentioned, very happy to be joined tonight by graduate students of Professor Gabriel Rockhill, who all attend Villanova University. They're studying political philosophy, which is something that we, of course, talk a lot about on the show. And we've gotten several insightful questions from them ahead of time that we're looking forward to answering. So I just want to thank everybody who's here, everybody who um, is joining us tonight, and everyone in general who supports the show. We have a lot of patrons. We're very, very honored to have so many patrons and have such a vibrant community. And we we really couldn't do this without y'all. So we really appreciate y'all contributing and joining tonight to continue making this a vibrant community. So with that, Brian, do you wanna get started with some of these questions from the students? Sure. All right, question one, how would you map the trajectory of revolutions and anti-colonial movements in the United States when talking to people in the street? In other words, what are the key moments and developments that allow us to understand the history of the struggle for national self-determination and socialism within the United States? What is the quote unquote national question in the precise sense that Lenin understands it mean to the socialist movement in the United States today and which nations would have the right to self-determination and why? Okay, so I'm glad someone posed the question and it's not unusual to me to discuss this topic because by far the detonator in the U.S. political, social, and class struggle in the United States has been the struggle against what we call national oppression, meaning the oppression of whole peoples who together constitute an oppressed nation or oppressed nationalities within the United States. And certainly each country's national question will be different from other countries. But in the United States in particular, when the colonial settler regime or regimes were established, there were already nations and peoples living, obviously, in both the Americas, including in North America. And those nations, the indigenous nations, many of whom still exist in spite of the genocidal history of the United States government, the prehistory and then the history of the United States after 1783, you know, even though the genocide was so devastating, those nations, those people still exist. And then there was the formation of another nation from our point of view in the United States, which would be the African-American people or the African-American nation. Of course, the kidnapped Africans who came or who were brought to the shores of North America came from many different places, what are now different countries, different nationalities, different ethnicities within Africa. But the experience of enslavement based on the fact that the people were African people the fact that they were black people, forged a unique, distinct people within North America and within the capitalist system. And while there has been a long, centuries-long struggle 
against racism and for civil liberties and for civil rights and social rights and social equality against first slavery and then apartheid, which commenced shortly after the defeat of Reconstruction, 10 years after the end of the U.S. Civil War, around 1875, 1876, the final denouement of Reconstruction happened then when the Northern troops were withdrawn from Southern states. That apartheid that was imposed on the majority of the black population, which until 1910, at least, 90% of those people lived in Southern states and in big parts of what was called the Black Belt constituted the vast majority. And the struggle of the African-American people or community or nation for inclusion, for equality, was one part of that struggle. But the other part of the struggle has always been for self-determination, meaning the right of a people to determine their own destiny as a people. And so even in the civil rights movement, you saw different currents and tendencies, and there was a lot of overlap. But you had, of course, the movement led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He wasn't the only leader. There were hundreds, really thousands of other leaders demanding fighting for civil rights and inclusion. And at the same time, in the tradition, first of Marcus Garvey and others, the formation of a black nationalist movement seeking black self-determination, including the possibility of forming a black republic within the territories of North America. And this history of the struggle, this multifaceted, multi-pronged struggle, has played itself out within the left as well. When the Communist Party or Communist Parties merged in 1919, 1920, 1921 in the United States, the parties were largely composed of workers who came from European countries. As a matter of fact, many of the meetings of the early Communist Party were not in English. They were in multiple different languages, English not being the dominant language. In other words, it was the socialist workers and proletarians who had fled Europe in the latter part of the 19th century or earlier part of the 20th century who were influenced by the rise of communism and socialism in Europe they were the ones who formed the Communist Party, and they had very limited participation from the black community in 1920, 21, 22, and that was a formidable problem, a big weakness within the communist movement. They were starting to recruit strands within the black liberation movement into the Communist Party, the African Blood Brotherhood, for one, but it was really the decision taken by the Communist International which was a party of all the parties, a world party, you know, based in Moscow, that insisted that, that the Communist Party in the United States adopt a position whereby it recognized that the black population in the black belt, where it was a majority, had the right of self-determination, meaning the right to form a black republic in the black belt in these southern states. And that led to a really significant growth of the Communist Party in the South and the recruitment of African-American workers and sharecroppers into the party. And it wasn't simply their position on self-determination. It was also the position of the party to organize black and white sharecroppers in the South, led by the black sharecroppers, 
including great heroes like Angelo Herndon, 19-year-old leader of the that movement in Georgia who was convicted in the early 1930s of insurrection because he was trying to bring black and white workers together, again, under a black communist-led leadership. And Angelo Herndon was sentenced to 18 years in prison for that sedition against the state of Georgia. Later, the, the Communist Party, and again, partly as a consequence of decisions made on the international level, changed their position and sort of redefined the national question in the United States as it pertained to the, to the struggle of black people and made the argument that the multinational working class included a very substantial black working class population and the struggle after 1936, as defined by the Communist Party, was to build multinational unity, but really dropped out the demand for a black republic in the black belt states. Anyway, even with that shift, the Communist Party was still the leading radical force within the black community, bar none, in terms of its membership and in terms of its orientation and presentation. In terms of the the way the movement manifested itself in the 60s, after Malcolm X was killed, and around the same time that the civil rights movement was morphing from a Southern-based movement to a movement really rooted in urban areas all over the country, especially in the North. After the Watts Rebellion in 1965, the rebellions in 1967 in Detroit, the relocation to Chicago of Dr. King's movement around the issue of breaking up segregated housing. There was the formation in northern cities especially, but not only the north, the black power movement. Originally, Stokely Carmichael, later Kwame Ture, as a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, gave voice to that. But it was also the Black Panther Party, led by Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale, and others, again, based in Oakland, California, in the north. And the struggle for black self-defense, the right of self-defense, the right of self-determination, that current, it wasn't only Malcolm X and others who I've mentioned. There was also Robert Williams, May Mallory, the Deacons for Defense in North Carolina that carried out armed struggles against the KKK, including the indigenous communities in North Carolina working with the black community in anti-fascist armed united fronts. All of that was taking place in the 60s and crystallized another wave of the black nationalist movement, the Republic of New Africa, and many other manifestations of a black-centered or black-focused movement for both national liberation and socialism. And so this has been a big part of what's driven the U.S. class struggle. This has been, in many ways, the detonator for the larger class struggle as the black movement grew in the 60s. It also inspired the women's movement. It inspired the what was at that point the gay rights movement, which eventually became the LGBTQ movement. Then the movements of the disabled. There were the movements of the elderly. The elderly formed a movement called the Grey Panthers. Anyway, it was um, a catalyst or a detonator for larger social movements. Lenin's argument on the national question, and I'll end on this, is that in the modern era of imperialism, that workers are oppressed as workers. But there are workers who live in nations that have been dominated by the colonial or semi-colonizing powers 
such that they were not only oppressed as workers, but the entire people were oppressed, including the national bourgeoisie. And Lenin made the argument that the Third International, the Communist International, should be the vanguard of an anti-imperialist movement, which would mean forging a struggle between uh, the workers in the imperialist colonizing countries and the peoples of the colonized world who are fighting for national self-determination. In other words, to be free, independent, sovereign countries. And in fact, the Third International changed the Marxist slogan that was crystallized in the Communist Manifesto, Workers of the World Unite. By 1922, the Third International changed that, amended it. They didn't get rid of it, but they amended it for all practical purposes. And on the banner read, Workers and Oppressed People of the World Unite, meaning a new era of anti-imperialist, anti-colonial revolutions for self-determination in alliance with the communist movements in the colonizing countries. And Lenin, of course, in Russia, insisted that the oppressed nations in the Russian Empire, who were not Russian but part of the Russian Empire, that they too should have the right of self-determination, meaning what self-determination basically means the right to get divorced. Lenin made the argument that workers in the old Russian Empire might choose to work together because they were all communists and socialists against the capitalists and the landlords, but you couldn't insist that the Latvians, the Estonians, the Lithuanians, the Georgians, the Azerbaijans, the Armenians, those in Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan or Turkmenistan or Kyrgyzstan, all of the different oppressed nationalities, that their union with the workers in Russia had to be based on an equality between the nations, meaning the nations that had been oppressed by Russia had to have the right to leave, the right to secede. And that was in the Soviet constitution, that those other nationalities and republics that were part of the union had the right to leave the union. And Lenin made the argument that self-determination means basically the right to secede or the right to get divorced, which doesn't mean you advocate divorce, but you have to have the right of divorce so that there's equality in the relationship. That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 